If you like a lot of football on your podcasts, then holding give everybody. <laughs> oh, how we laughed. How are you doing, everybody? Welcome to episode seven of the Holding Give Football podcast with myself, Ross Tweddle, joined by Jack Atkins, who looks impeccable as always. Where do you buy those hats? Um, from various places. It's just to cover my unshaven head. I feel a bit rough today, so... He's wearing a hat. He is wearing a hat. That's He's the big breaking news on the yeah. football podcast today. But did you know, Jackins, that Stefan Schwartz had a clause in his contract when he signed for Sunderland in 1999 that stated if he ever went to space, that his contract would instantly be terminated. Sunderland ended negotiations with Valencia and then played a then club record of 3.75 million for his services, having insisted that the contract would be voided if he left the atmosphere. What a Schwartz's advice! have got a ticket for a planned commercial flight that was due to leave in 2002 and was suddenly keen to avoid any debate um, had their player nabbed a seat of his own. So apparently he wanted to go to space. They thought, oh my God, he might do that and die. Let's just put this in the contract just in case. Uh, when we hear about the potential trip to space, Sunderland manager Peter Reid and his massive monkey's head said he was confused, to say the least, but not overly bothered about the blocking of the trip with the club choosing to intervene. Speaking to 1990s football podcast, quickly, Kevin, will he score? Reid recalled one of the here in the space plan and said, you know what? <laughs> and he said, well... If I can get up on the moon and in space, blah, blah, blah. I was just thinking he's taking the P155 here, but I was desperate to sign him. So I said, yeah, go ahead. It's a very scouse. I can't do that very well. Give me one of those, please. Oh, yeah, go ahead. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, just in case you're wondering, Svart spent four <laughs> seasons at Sunderland in total without leaving the planet and had nothing good, nothing but good things to say about his period at the Stadium of Life. There must be a compilation out there of the most weird like clauses in contracts, and that's got to be close to the top of them. Yeah, I can imagine as well, things are only going to get weirder, but probably more under lock and key, if you know what I mean, just because it's the way people are media trained and they don't want things leaking and all this kind of stuff. There's probably some wild stuff in these player contracts. The um, Stefan Schwartz things reminded me, though, one of my mates is uh, an architect, and when he was studying in Liverpool, one of his tutors uh, years ago for I think it was for a very young Jamie Carragher maybe like designed a house for him you know like a, a full thing you know fully voice controlled all this kind of stuff way ahead of its time we're talking in the 90s and apparently Carragher's dad looked at the plants and said my son is not living in an effing spaceship and uh, <laughs> <laughs> saw them up so yeah I saw it yeah, he could have had a mate on his uh, flight there. But. You know the overlap, the thing that Gary Neville and Carragher and Roy Keane do on the YouTubes at the minute? Mm. I watched the latest episode of that yesterday where there's a mural of Carragher in, I've forgotten the name of the place there where Carragher's from. You know where, Ooh. he's got the big mural on the wall of like the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the kid in the Everton shirt turned into a Champions League winner, that sort of thing. They unveiled a Gary Neville one right next to it. Really? And they mentioned it. I can't remember if it was Carragher... Having, I think it might have been Neville having a swim pool built by Scousers and then putting a Liverpool scarf underneath a swim pool. I think yeah, I've got yeah. that the right way around. Just quickly yeah. mention that, so I thought that's where you were going with some maybe Evertonian builder inserting something Liverpool-wise into Jamie Carragher's spaceship. No, no, I'd forgotten that about uh, Gary Neville's um, swim pool as well. Because he's is it Neville or is it Skulls who's got a house that looks like the Teletubbies home? That's Neville, yeah. Yeah, amazing. Skulls just like sucking toes, doesn't he? He does, whereas Neville apparently likes Toby Tokes and Toby Custard. <laughs> newt Newt. Is that the thing the vacuum used to say? I've forgotten his name. 
Uh, yeah, Nunu. Nunu, former Spurs manager, of course. (laughs) Just before we we came on here today, I found a news story which I found astonishing. And Lionel Messi's contract has been revealed by the MLS uh, Inter Miami's co-owner, George Mass. And I want to read it out because this is amazing. Speaking to to Spanish outlet El Pays, I might have said that completely wrong, Mass has revealed that Messi will earn between $50 million and $60 million per season at Inter Miami, which is considered way less than what was offered by the Saudi Arabian clubs, which apparently interested in Lionel Messi's services before he went over to the MLS. I had a quick Google what the, um, the Saudi Arabians were offering. 550 million euros is what I found. So he's taking a big pay cut there, so fair play to Lionel Messi. Messi will also <laughs> receive, this is on top of the 50 to 60 million per season, he'll also receive shares in Inter Miami um, once he retires, so he's set up for his retirement. He'll also get a cut of the MLS Global Rights Broadcast on Apple TV and of the club's Adidas kit. Mass said, I spent three years working on a deal, a year and a half very intensively, my conversation with his father, George, I got it done at the end of May. David Beckham talked with Leo only about soccer issues because he was playing. I didn't want him to feel pressured. But imagine not only 50 to $60 million, but also shares in the club, stuff from Apple TV, kit sales, which I assume is going to be like the most bought kit maybe in the history of MLS soccer, you probably would imagine. Yeah. 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 He's got everything. It's disgusting. Jeez. I was I was on Instagram the other day and there was apparently pictures of what his uh, penthouse in Miami's like and it's ridiculous. It's got a lift for the car. It's got a then private pool on a balcony. Oh, you know, stuff which sounds probably pedestrian to the super rich, but to me and you, oh, fantastic. I bet there's a Real Madrid scarf underneath that pool, though. <laughs> no, probably, yeah. Uh, uh, just before we came on the air as well, Arsenal have now reached a full agreement with uh, to sign uh, with Ajax to sign defender Jurian Timber. Uh, the Gunners have seen an initial offer in the region of €42 million Euros with €5 million add-ons accepted by Ajax last week, despite the Eredivisie side being a clean to go, keen to go around €60 million. Euros. I'm going to have to apologise for my voice today. We had a long trip to London. And I haven't recovered yet. Uh, with the final details on personal times that the players now agreed to, the talent defender is set to undergo a medical before the weekend. Sources have confirmed that Timbers' medical could be even before Declan Rice's, with the English England star set to undergo his on Friday. This was someone that Man United was heavily linked with last summer because obviously Eric Ten Hag was Ajax manager, worked with him. He appears to tick all the boxes for an Arsenal defender, though. Versatile, pacey-ish, good on the ball. Seems like a nice signing. Yeah, Arsenal splashing the cash, cash as well, because obviously for years they always said, oh, you know, we're still paying off the Emirates, we can't really throw as much in the squad as we can, but it seems like the, they've run last year has convinced the owners to properly invest, and yeah, that's a really good sign. And Liverpool, we're linked with them, but I think we've just been linked with everyone, as Newcastle probably have as well, but um, yeah, really good sign. I would be surprised if his medical would be before Declan Rice's, because I'd have assumed that the, you know, may have sneakily had some preliminary stuff done already but apparently not just the masseuses rubbing in muller's rice corners into his thigh or oh, oh i can oh, feel those i can feel those muscles are nice and loose there declan <laughs> oh, i don't know what i'm doing now anyway rice pudding's very nice uh, manchester united have made an opening offer worth 45 million euros which is 38.6 million pounds for inter milan co- uh, goalkeeper uh, andrade and oh my god andre onana what's his name onana what's his name this is after david de Gea was apparently nim- made aware of his release on his wedding day yeah i mean (laughs) 
I, I'm not going to say the obvious link to our to our day to day life, but thirty eight point six million for proven keeper. It's that seems quite cheap. Yeah. Um, we we were saying last week about De Gea wasn't there. Was it three hundred and fifty grand a week? Was it that was on was so, it on the table, or had he requested it? That's what he wanted, but then they renegotiated with something slightly reduced. But then De Gea signed the contract, but the club pulled out. Yeah, I mean, if if he and if De Gea ends up leaving, and I I do believe that if he ends up leaving, he'll probably also go to Saudi Arabia. Um, but the amount of wages that United will be saving by not even downgrading to Onana, it's um, it could be a really really good bit of business. But it all all depends on De Gea. Yeah, and he's only 27 years of age, he's Onana, which I didn't realise. I thought he might be a little bit older than he is, but um, obviously yeah. he's been one of the Champions League standout goalkeepers for well, ever since it feels like that Ajax breakout season where they got to the semi-finals against Spurs. Yeah, when was that? Uh, 2019? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, like you're saying, 27, not even on paper reached his peak yet. So again, could be a very shrewd bit of business. And you're speaking of David De Gea, apparently Fernabache is where his agents are currently going. Oh, really? Yeah, which is a really odd move. Yeah, because usually, uh, no disrespect to the Turkish league, but it's it's usually those players who are just starting. Your Daniel Sturridge's. <laughs> Your Daniel Sturridge's. I think Martin Skirtle. Dali Ali. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not, not, not your players who are absolutely scraping the bottom of the barrel, but, you know, they're just on the descent, which you could argue the hair is, but I still think he's got a couple of good seasons left in him. Maybe so. it's just money. Maybe it's just like going abroad to get your, your hair replaced in Turkey and that's going to pay David De Gea's wages. Well, he is a poor man. Remember that time he stole a donut? David De Gea? Yeah. I am I not aware was, of this one. It was not long after he signed for United, so he was young and stupid, and apparently he got caught shoplifting a donut, and everyone was like, what are you doing? <laughs> It's about 60p, so yeah. Imagine that, because imagine Anthony Worrell Thompson might have lived in the Manchester area, because he sounds like he's a Manchester, a Mancunian. I don't know if he is or not, I might just because just of the way he sounds. He was stealing cheese, wasn't he? Imagine that yeah, double was, whammy yeah. for that security guard back then. The De Gea Worrell Thompson combination. I'm sorry <laughs> if he's. In I don't know why Crouch and Defoe came in my head there. Anthony Worrell Thompson being Peter Crouch is a wonderful thing. Just going like that to pluck the cheese away. Anyway, Manchester United and related news to them as well have confirmed the signing of Mason Mount from Chelsea. The England international becomes the Red Devils. First incoming this summer, joining for an initial £55 million that could rise to £60 million. £60 million? £60 million if add-ons are met. Chelsea were holding out for that massive £60 million price tag, rejecting three bids from my night before finally agreeing the terms towards the end of last month. Mount departs Chelsea, having made 195 appearances in all competitions, scoring 33 goals and assisting 37. It's all looking good for Mason Mount. But then, as we're sat here on Wednesday, the 5th of July, on the 4th of July, up the Americas and all that sort of stuff, um, he released this, this farewell video because apparently the Chelsea fans deserved more than a written statement where he was clearly sat there reading a written statement just off the camera, so they might as well have been written anyway because it was soulless and it was gutless. And it was also pre-recorded because he rocked up to Carrington with a different head of hair. He was bleach blonde in his farewell video, but then a Carrington for his medical, it was lovely, lovely brown. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we were saying recently with the whole Jack Grealish thing, the reason that people enjoyed Grealish's celebrations because he felt human again. Yeah. And this is, you know, the uh, the counterpoint to it, like you're saying, just a soulless statement. 
you know, the regular platitudes. Bet he, if he scores against Chelsea, he won't celebrate all that kind of stuff. Uh, good move, though. I like my Mason Mark. I think he's a really good player. Um, the way I found out that this had actually gone through is I saw Brian Robson was trending uh, online. I was like, oh, what's happened? It's just people just saying, oh, apparently he's the first, I think Mount is the first out-and-out centre-mid to have the number seven shirt since Brian Robson. Because, oh, fair enough. Yeah, because, and I was just like, oh, are people trying to compare him? But no, um, the, the seven shirt had become more of a kind of, you know, attacking number. You know, so, you're, you're Michael Owens, you're Antonio Valencia's, that's all the greats of the game. Of course, That's yeah. a bit harsh on Valencia. He was a very <laughs> good player. It wasn't his fault that he was picked to replace Ronaldo. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, obviously, between a Newcastle fan and a Liverpool fan, there's no love lost here for Michael Owen. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. If you're not aware, by the way, Michael Owen just you know he didn't play for Newcastle because he was trying to secure his move away from the club, which I guess you could say, from a player's point of view, makes sense. But when that club has paid him 125 grand a week to sit there injured for three years, it mm. makes you feel a little bit sick. Is, is Mason Mount a good signing for Manchester? You say that he's a very good player. I don't quite understand what he is, but I, I, I imagine that he. I think we said this a few weeks ago now that managers clearly see something that muggles like me don't see because Jurgen Klopp I think was linked to liking him yeah. and obviously Eric Ten Hag's been gagging for him three offers in before the fourth was accepted so what does he that, what does he have that I just don't see well one, one of my mates is a big Chelsea fan and obviously it was ages ago that Liverpool was starting to be linked with him and we were playing on playstations because you know we're, we're grown children and we we're chatting over that and he said if Mount leaves, he'd be gutted. He's just a massive fan of him. Um, I know he just he's to me he's dependable. You know he's one of those, you know, like the stick that was used to beat Wijnaldum with when he was at Liverpool. If you're not noticing him, he's doing a good job. If kind of if you know what I mean, he won't do anything spectacular, but he will just keep going. He's a bit of an engine, and he'll just keep things ticking over. And then it's when he's out the side that you go, oh crap, yeah, I didn't realise what he did. For that midfield for Man United, though, what's it going to be now? What Casemiro, Mount, uh, Bruno, Fred, McTominay. Fred. <laughs> yeah. Now I think McTominay is going to leave, isn't he? I think off the back of this one. I wouldn't be surprised, but he's. He's, he's an upgrade, yeah, especially while I think with United, Casemiro was fantastic last season and he seemed to be that missing piece of the puzzle to for the stability in their midfield. But I think Mount is just an upgrade on what they've already got just to try and incrementally build back up. I think he's a replacement for Ericsson. I don't know what it was, but it felt like maybe Ericsson, Ericsson yeah. maybe lost a bit of legs, obviously understandably so towards the end of the yeah. season. But uh, it feels like maybe Rice could be Rice. Mount could be put in that. Pl- I've just got Muller Rice on the brain now. Whoa, I love an apple one, mate. I don't know about you. When you get to the bottom, you get the bit of apple. <laughs> I always like the raspberry ones, and I think they discontinued them because I like them. So that's <laughs> always happens. It's always the case, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but speaking of right, so yeah, Mason Mount's there to replace Ericsson, I think, in the long term. Again, he's, he's a very versatile player, which I think is in his favour. He can play anywhere across that sort of three behind the striker. Yeah. He can play more centrally, as was said there before. Because it was always in England, you're always sitting there looking at, you know, more exciting, more. More, what's the word I'm looking for? More obviously threatening players on the eye, like your Grealishes and people like that sitting on the bench while Mason Mount's just trundling around the pitch doing nothing. But apparently, he yeah. takes up good positions out of possession, which is why Gareth Southgate likes him. And I just don't understand why he would pick that over. But it's Gareth Southgate being a negative guy. That's what it all boils back down to. I just don't like Gareth Southgate. I appreciate the success. <laughs> I appreciate the success, but I don't. I refuse to accept that nobody else could have done better. Keeping Marcus Rashford on the bench against France for that long, sacrilege. Sacre bleu. As a, a card-carrying England fan, then, who 
who do you think could do a better job? Inter- instead of Mount? No, instead, instead of Southgate. Instead of Southgate, insert name here? Yeah, really? Insert name here. I don't know who. It's it's ridiculous just to pluck any name, but I don't know who's in the frame to maybe take over Gareth when this contract's up and he maybe goes away. But I just go back to the two times we've been in fantastic positions and the two times where we didn't push on, we just continued to sit back. We needed something more pragmatic, yeah. I thought. Kevin Keegan, that's exactly who could have done better. We'll score one more than you, he says. Anyway, Arsenal and West Ham have ironed out. Hey, hey you like the pun? Uh, the final details on uh, Declan Rice's proposed £105 million transfer. That is £105 million for Declan Rice. Arsenal have agreed to pay West Ham £100 million guaranteed in money, plus £5 million in, uh, in performance-related add-ons. The 24-year-old's move will break the British transfer record set by Jack Grealish. Excuse me, back in 2021, Arsenal would pay the vast majority of the fee to West Ham in three separate instalments over the course of the next two years. Something that David Sullivan, the West Ham big boy, <laughs> the West Ham big boy, David Sullivan, has been pushing. I've knocked myself off there. My goodness me. Uh, right? <laughs> it's a West Ham big boy. It's David Sullivan. Um, it's something he wants to happen, basically. Rice will undergo his medical on Friday, as we said earlier on. Um, he's going to be signing a contract which makes him one of Arsenal's highest paid players. Just in case you're interested, he made 245 appearances for West Ham and obviously took over the captaincy of the club when Mark Noble retired at the end of the 2022 campaign. It's a massive amount of money, but he ticks a lot of boxes, doesn't he? Yeah, 24 as well. I had in my head that he was older than that for some reason. Uh, like we're saying, you know, there is the England tax on top of that. Uh, but I think Declan Rice is a superb player. He could be that signing that helps them push on. The thing about this signing and also complimenting the signing of Kai Havertz, I'm interested to see how Odegaard will play because I'd assume he'll become more of that kind of, not deep-lying playmaker, but you'd expect Havertz to be further ahead. You've got Rice in that kind of more Makaleli role. Odegaard could... This could help facilitate Odegaard kicking on to something different, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I so think it's going it's, to be very fluid. Because you, yeah. you, you think of Rice, you, I know primarily he is more a defensive player than he is an attacking player, but his ball carrying, I think, mm-hmm. is one of his biggest strengths, is getting the ball out of his feet and letting him run at the opposition. It's almost like... All, I, found, I feel stupid saying this, but it's almost like a rugby tactic. You know, you just give the, the little lad yeah. at the back the ball just to run forward so you get your ground back, that sort of stuff. That's what Declan yeah. Rice did wonderfully well for West Ham and for England. So I think... It's just going to be more fluid. I think there's going to be less defined roles in the Arsenal midfield. Everyone's just going to be going like this. Just, wee. Yeah. And I, I, <laughs> I, I like that style of wee football as you just uh, <laughs> We're both knackered for different reasons. <laughs> you're, you're knackered because you've had you know a, a big work trip this week and did a lot of work. I ate too much Wagyu beef last night and woke up with a stomachache. Oh, it's one of them days. You bastard. I wish I had the old Wagyu steak. <laughs> oh, I went, I, I burgered it last night, but I woke up this morning and feel like I've been hit by a car. So I've just... <laughs> Been sat here struggling all day. I tell you, that's a well, thing I've noticed about my thirties: is the digestion of food is it's a lot longer process. Oh God, I've I've become a, a peppermint tea before bed guy. That's me now. <laughs> well, is that meant to aid you? I've got I've got the Yakult in the fridge. Oh, a bit of a, a bit of this digestivum, or the El Casa Immunitas. I can't remember. I don't know what you've even just said there. I just know that when I had some food poisoning last year, the doctor was like, yes, just uh, neck some yakults every single, well, neck a yakult every single day to replace the good bacteria in your gut and help your digestive system out a bit. 
Yeah, peppermint tea is apparently a similar thing. It just kind of helps digestion if you're feeling a bit bloated and a bit crampy. Oh, yeah. there we go then. You didn't, never yeah. know what you talk about on this podcast, do you? Who would have thought, <laughs> eh? Uh, Brentford. <laughs> news with Brentford. They've kept Hollywood Bets as their shirt sponsor for next season, or for the next two seasons, we should say, because they're one of the few football teams in the world now who use the same home kit for two years in a row, like it used to be way back in the day. And I think that's mm. a that's the positive side to think they're not charging fans like every single season for a brand new kit. But Ivan Tony obviously has been suspended from football for eight months, whatever it is, for a certain thing, and now he's going to come back from that thing and now promote or be a billboard for the thing he has a massive problem with on his stomach there. So it's a... Uh, a weird one. Why didn't they change? Obviously, because there's the legislation coming in a couple of years' time about betting companies being on the front of Premier League shirt sponsors to begin with. So maybe you'll be thinking that football clubs could be changing out sponsors for something different. But the yeah. Ivan Tony situation on top of that as well, it leaves you scratching your head a bit as to what Brentford are doing. I felt sorry, even though, you know, Tony was silly and he got caught. I did feel sorry for him because it felt like they made an example of him when you said, like, the betting sponsorship on shirts became such a big issue and you know certain uh competitions are sponsored by bet companies and just the, the rampant nature of it um i wonder if like you said with the legislation coming in this is again plucked out of thin air not based on anything but i wouldn't i wonder if hollywood bets kind of said to him look well we'll not sign a up but we'll kind of sweeten the deal if you don't jettison us at the uh very first sign of trouble if you know what i mean but yeah it's 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 grubby it's it's not right yeah because how is he gonna feel when he comes back because obviously you think about uh like hearing about premier league footballers like that betting on stuff like and he got caught obviously as one hand but i watched that it was a video that you know your pie face off twitch he's a fifa twitch streamer uh no because i'm an old man well, he's a FIFA Twitch streamer who had a bit of a gambling <laughs> issue a few years ago. And also Paul Merson just sort of, I forget oh, which yeah. YouTube channel did. They just did to sort of sit down and talked about their gambling issues. And if you, you think it's just sort of a case of someone being stupid, watch that video and you come up with a completely different perspective because it is like a proper like addiction sort of thing and yeah. something that people struggle to get out of and they have to take these big leaps and big steps to get away from it. So how is he going to feel like, you're obviously going away from the game now for a few months. It could have been longer. Um, it maybe should have been implemented maybe when the season was on. I guess everyone's saying that, aren't they? But he's going to come back from this big lengthy ban. Obviously, his England chances have been hampered a bit. Now he's going to come back and be a billboard for the thing that took him away from the game. It's a it's a really odd one. Yeah. Um, like we seem to say every week, which money talks at the end of the day, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. And speaking of that, after saying he wasn't going to Saudi Arabia because he didn't agree with the project or whatever bollocks he came out with, Steven Gerrard has been appointed the manager of Saudi Arabian side Al Ati. And I can't say the last bit because YouTube censors will pick it up as a swear word if I say it or Jaakin says it. So let's just say Al Etty. Up the Al Etty. Oh, I don't know if I mean that. Uh, Gerard has been out of work uh, since being sacked by Aston Villa in October 2022, which I think I took this from 90minutes.com and this is the, how their paragraph read. With the club precariously placed above the relegation zone, his successor, Unai Emery, led them to a seventh-place finish, <laughs> securing Europe and Conference League football. Take that, Stephen Gerrard. He was apparently looking to either Leeds or Leicester to come knocking for his service. Services, but they didn't come, so that obviously would have had a, a little bit of a uh, an effect on this decision at this close season, uh, just before the new season starts. Uh, El Atti, you know what? Uh, oh, sorry, El Etty finished seventh in the Saudi Pro League last season. Nine points clear of the relegation zone, but a staggering 30 points off the Asian Champions League spots. And he doesn't have any big names in his squad as we're sat here right now. But he does have Sweden forward Robin Kwaizon. 
and former Napoli winger Amin Yunez. The crowd. Hang on. Uh, sorry, they have four. Uh, sorry, Sweden forward Robin Quaison. And Napoli winger <laughs> Amin Yunez. Where's me cheers gone? I swear I had some cheers last week. <laughs> That's all I've got. I'm sure I had like a way last week, but it's gone. Anyway, he could be working though. This is Steven Gerrard with Joe. Uh, well, we'll get on that actually next. What are your thoughts? Obviously, big Mr. Liverpool man, Steven Gerrard, going over to Saudi Arabia and basically announcing his resignation or retirement from football management by going to the Saudi Pro League. Yeah, um... Yeah, it, it's it's what you said. One of the Liverpool channels, I've been watching a lot of Liverpool stuff this week because it's been an exciting week to be a Liverpool fan. We'll come on to that in a minute. But they were saying the same thing as you. It does feel like he said, Do you know what, Last roll, one last roll of the dice. I don't think this is really for me. I'll earn a lot of money. When Gerard and Carragher both um, retired, everyone assumed that Gerard would be the one going to punditry and Carragher would be the one going to management. So when they did the flip of that, it was a bit of a surprise. But Gerard's not the most charismatic man, but he's a hell of a player. So he'll probably be fine with some kind of punditry role somewhere, unless, you know, you never know. For all the money they're throwing at the Saudi Pro League, could become, you know, the new two Bundesliga. Who knows? <laughs> You say it's weird how his career has fallen off so quickly after such a strong period at Rangers. Because mm. I've said this before. I remember when Eddie Howe was being linked with the Newcastle job. I was like, nah, I want Gerard. I like the atmosphere he's created at Rangers. They were playing good, like sort of pragmatic attack and football, if you want. It felt a big gung-ho at times. He was saying all the right things in the press. I was like, yes, this is the man to lead us out the relegation zone and maybe, you know, up towards the top of bits of the Premier League. It's 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 weird how wrong he can be sometimes in football. <laughs> Yeah, because the hope for us, for, well, for Liverpool, was because, like you said, we saw him do well at Rangers and we thought Villa, you know, he'll probably do well there. A couple of years' time, it'll go back to the old boot room style. Klopp ends, Klopp leaves, Gerrard comes in. But now it's just like, oh, that's that's definitely not happening unless an absolute miracle happens. So, it's uh, yeah, like you said, it's fallen off a quick uh, cliff What in, in the space of a season, if that. Yeah. I mean, you go yeah. back to when he, he started at Villa, it started off quite well, didn't it? But then it just it really did get bad towards the end. I yeah. remember watching them. It was, a, was it a Monday night football when they played away? It might have been Gerrard's last game when they played away at Fulham. I think they got dicked on 3-0 or something like that. And it was just like the Fulham, uh, sorry, the Villa players had just gone, I've had enough of this. It's time for him to go. It makes you yeah. wonder, though, because obviously you go back to his playing career and obviously you hear about well, you, you the Gerard FA Cup final is own the Champions League final you're thinking they're like oh it's just a, a natural leader who can make people do things they would maybe wouldn't normally do but what that's not translated to his management style I, I don't know who his back backroom staff are because obviously like I mentioned a minute ago it was Gerard and Carragher obviously Gerard would lead by example but Carragher would be the one there you know screaming and dishing out a a, t- a telling off if needs be. Perhaps it could be like the old uh, Brian Clough and your man, Peter Taylor. Peter Taylor, yeah. Yeah, perhaps it could be one of those situations that, you know, if he had a really dynamic number two, who knows? But I think this is just me making excuses for Stephen Gerrard now because he's Stephen Gerrard. <laughs> 
Um, so then, who he doesn't have any sort of big names as we're sat here right now on a Wednesday, July the 5th. Could he be adding big names in the form of Jordan Henderson and Philippe Coutinho? Gerard has been promised funds, apparently, to rebuild the squad, and apparently that was the major sticking point in his first round negotiations and his second round negotiations. He didn't get the Leicester and Leeds jobs. He was promised more money to spend on players, and that's what apparently got him in there, let alone how much he must be earning himself, which will probably make you sick if you, if you hear that one. Uh, Henderson has two years left on his current contract at Liverpool, having signed a four-year deal back in 2021. He's 33 years old, but he made 41 appearances in all competitions last season, which shows he's still very, very important under Jurgen Klopp. Coutinho hasn't really played since Gerard got the sack at Aston Villa, making just seven starts in the Premier League all of last season. That's another miraculous drop-off, never mind Gerard's managerial career. Philippe Coutinho, what he was from Liverpool to Barcelona, then those first year or two in Barcelona, that's a massive drop-off. Oh, yeah. Potentially a future Wunderkind segment, who knows. Um, I don't think Liverpool should or will let Jordan Henderson go. We've already let Milner go, um, and there was the hopes that Henderson could become our utility man going forward, if you know what I mean. He's still hugely admired by everyone at the club it seems and with such an influx of midfield players to Liverpool you, you know you, you're going to need someone there for that leadership quality um, the question amongst Liverpool fans is uh, more around Thiago because as beautiful as Thiago is with ball at his feet we can't guarantee many games from him Yeah. so we've been saying you know if a, a stupid amount of money came in from Saudi Arabia for him would you let him go and again, people have been split down the middle. For Coutinho, I mean, last chance saloon's been and gone. I can't get over the shadow of a player he was. Again, I thought the move to Villa for him, like for Gerard, I thought, oh, he'll just crack on again. This will be a really good signing. And it was, I think it was his first couple of appearances again. It was like, oh, yeah, it looks like there's something there. And then, yeah, fell off a cliff. I don't think Emery fancied them either, did he? No, no, I told you seven starts in the league all last season. Apparently, that was just less and less and less as the mm. season went on and Villa went up. You're not going to start putting players back in who were, you know, in the team when Villa were down the bottom, are you? So it looks yeah. like his career is going to go to Saudi Arabia because he's thinking about the, the pay packet he'll be on. This is Coutinho on about now. Who's going to be able to afford that? I can't imagine he's, he must be around about 30, is he? Let me have a quick Google there. Must be about there, yeah. Coutinho, Philip Coutinho, he's 31. 32 next June, so he's just turned 31. He's yeah. still got he's still got plenty of time left, hasn't he? But uh, the, the, yeah. the Jordan Henderson situation feels like Gary Speed at Newcastle. When yeah. Newcastle sold Gary Speed to Bolton for like 750 grand, he was like 34 years old, and everyone's going, Bolton paying that much for a 34-year-old? And then the next season, that's when Graham Souness came in, and that's when... Obviously, you know, your, your boys and your dyers are fighting with each other. The Brat Packers, they were called. Your Bellamy's, your Genesis, your Brambles, your Dyers, your, you know, your little, your little toe rags in, 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 in yeah. diamond earrings, that sort of footballer from the early noughties. Apparently, they took over the running of the club, basically, in the dressing room. And it was because Gary Speed wasn't there to sort them all out that that happened. So maybe that's a sort of similar situation for Jordan Henderson at Liverpool. Because while it is, I think it was, was it that Real Madrid game at home when everyone was like, oh, he's finished, he's done. We need to get rid of him now. But it's, I think having him around the place is going to be very valuable. Yeah, definitely. Because there's, like we said the other week when um, James Milner went, there were still some people who were like, keep him at the club, transition him into a coaching role. Don't be starting him in important games just because of that calm and influence, that real leadership qualities. Because 
Henderson's had an up and down relationship with the Liverpool fans ever since he first put on a red shirt. Um, but no, nah, I'd, I'd keep him at, keep him at the club. I'd like to see him retire with us. But like we're saying, as long as we're not relying on him, that's a different question, isn't it? Yeah, other than Liverpool-related news, Roberto Firmino has completed his move to the Saudi Pro League for Al Ali after his contract expired at Liverpool at the end of last season. He'll link up with former Chelsea goalkeeper Edouard Mendy at Al Ali, as well as former Swansea City winger Modu Barrow. What a what a combination there, the dream team. <laughs> Uh, Firmino has signed a three-year deal in Saudi Arabia after being linked with moves to the likes of Real Madrid and Barcelona. I sent you the video of his like unveiling. He did a no-look contract signature, which I chuckled at in the moment, then remembered where the contract is and how old he is. I think he's only 31, 32, mm-hmm. that sort of age. He's got plenty to offer at the top level of the game, but once again, it's that argument that he's completed football. He's won everything there is to win in Europe, just about, for a Premier League team, I should say. Um, so maybe it is time that he just went and enjoyed the final year of his career while earning more money than he would have otherwise yeah um, he, he did a no look contract sign when he signed his last deal with Liverpool so we, could, we can't even give uh, Ali that um, yeah because you, you you sent me the video after I had my lunch today and like I said my stomach was a bit, bit peaky didn't have my usual breakfast eggs had a lunch egg instead Oh, <laughs> came back and saw that and I went oh for god's sake <laughs> um, again it's if, if you were in his position and someone's probably handing you a blank check every week, you'd, you'd take it, wouldn't you? You are. You absolutely yeah. are. It's sad to see, but you're taking it, aren't you? Anyway, elsewhere in Saudi Arabia-related news, we've got Celtics uh, Jota. They're attacking midfield. They're probably their best player, along with little um, is it Kyogo up front. I've forgotten his name. I was speaking about him a few weeks so. ago. Yeah, Kyogo, yeah. Uh, the striker. Yeah, they're probably their, one of their t- two best players. He's gone for a staggering £25 million. It, it feels weird hearing like a transfer from Scottish football for £25 million, but it's happened. This must be the highest profile one out of Scotland for a very long time. You, I'm casting my mind back. I'm thinking of Nikita Jelovic going to Everton for like eight or £9 yeah. million. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Henrik Larsson oh, obviously went to Barcelona. Yeah. I think he was a free transfer, maybe. Um, there's got to be something from the last few years. Obviously, Andy Robertson going to Hull, I think, for three million. Something but like that. The, but that's not a headline grabbing, though, is it? Like twenty-five million. Largest SPFL transfers. Let's see what comes up when we uh, we search this transfer records. The Scottish Premiership. Obviously, Jean-Alain Boomsong. Eight million pounds yeah. that cost Newcastle. So Jota was twenty. Well, this is all in euros. So Jota was twenty nine point one oh million euros. Kieran Tierney twenty seven million euros. Uh, Calvin Bassi went to Ajax for twenty three million euros. Obviously, he's only twenty two as well. And Musa Dembele went from Celtic to Lyon for twenty two million euros. So we've just talked absolute nonsense there. <laughs> Again, apologies to our <laughs> Scottish friends out there for sharing our ignorance to the Scottish Premiership. Torre, hang on, Torre Andre Flo. Would that, would that have been the Chelsea in in, in two thousand and one? No, yeah. no, it would have, he was no, late. Sunderland for eighteen million euros. Come on, that can't be right. For the two thousand to two thousand and one season, was that Sunderland? No, I'm getting it up now. I'm yeah, Chelsea, look. July the first, two thousand and one. That's about to say. Then he went to Sunderland for eleven million euros. My wow. goodness me, Tory Andre Flo. Speaking about Anthony Wall Thompson being like Peter Crouch. <laughs> That's like the perfect amalgamation. Uh, just in case you're interested there, Jack Atkins, uh, D- Virgil van Dijk is ninth on the list at 15.7 million for his move to Southampton. 
back in uh, 20, 2015. Wanyama's on there. Nathan Patterson for Everton cost 14 million euros. Giovanni Van Bronckhorst, 13.5 million for the 0102 season at Arsenal. So yeah. there has been a fair few big transfers in Scottish football, so we do apologise. But we it does. Apologize. Just seeing a big two, a big two five there felt a bit weird for Ali. He had yeah. to pay that much money, but he is. He does seem to be. You said you get certain players for your Celtic and your Rangers of the world. I feel a bit of a step above what Scottish football is, and he feels like one of those. Yeah, I'm sure this had been rumoured for a few weeks as well, and the Celtic fans that I've seen online are absolutely gutted because they love him. Um. I'll be. I was going to say I'll be interested to see how they reinvest this, but we've already just shown our complete ignorance for the league. So I think it's time anyone we'd be surprised. <laughs> it is going to be interesting to see what uh, Brent Dog does, because uh, obviously it felt like uh, Big Ange had his his transfer roots in Japan, brought over yeah. a lot of sort of the players from that league, and obviously Brendan's now. I don't know what he's going to do. I'll have to. I will Joe have Allen. to see. Joe Allen. <laughs> Colo Touré at the back again. Oh, I'd love that. <laughs> but by the way, Jota's got a fantastic mullet. So all the credit in the world to him and all the best in Saudi Arabia, son. And now we go back to Liverpool because they have signed someone this week and I'm just going to sit back. We'll just say they gave him number eight shirts. We'll just say that Liverpool triggered the uh, the £60 million release clause to lure him away from RB Leipzig. And then I'll just let you talk about him for a bit if you want. Yeah, Dominic's obviously. Um, this was one that happened very quickly. I will take back some of the criticisms I've had of uh, FSG, Liverpool's owners, because, you know, we, we've not spent as much as we should to try and establish our, well, confirm our place at the top of the league. But when we've needed it this summer, I mean, already, and McAllister and Zobber's life, what, combined about 90 million odd, is good business. Uh, the number eight shirt, which wasn't really a thing before Stephen Gerrard, obviously because of Steven Gerrard's now a thing and it, it, it's felt like we've had a while since we've since we've had like an out and out proper attacking midfield force he plays usually more on the right um so there's the potential uh, of a right side of Trent Alexander-Arnold Dominic Zobersly <laughs> and Mohamed Salah um which would be very nice um the links to this this all seemed to happen in about 36 hours there was links in the journalist saying oh well Liverpool are looking at him and we were like yeah it's not going to happen it's like Newcastle looking at him as well and we were like oh well Newcastle will probably sign him um, and then before you know it it was like oh yeah it's been triggered uh, Liverpool yeah that's that's going through he's in oh he's in town and he's got the shirt on so it was I'm looking forward to seeing him play I was gutted when I saw this go through because obviously for the longest time it felt like as a Newcastle fan it was either James Madison or Mr. Sabasly, uh, not both of them. And once we just let, I don't want to say let Madison go to Spurs, but it was clear that we just didn't want to pay whatever Leicester were asking for him, which it turns out is around about 45 million, I think, all in, which is a lot less than the 60 million, which is apparently being quoted to Newcastle. I was like, yes, let's get this guy in. Let's get him in the centre of midfield, just more advanced maybe than Bruno and Big Joe and Big Tonali, but more on him a bit later on. Um, but yeah, just seeing that one slip through. The, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's either we didn't bother in the end, or we just let him slip through the net because we didn't want to pay the release clause. Because I just he seems like a quality footballer. It just it's the sort of player you want to have rather than not having. Yeah, he's he's exciting. He's yeah. an exciting player. Um, and like you said, we we are in the process of a midfield revamp and rebuild. And yeah, bloody hell, that's one way of doing it. Um, I think for Newcastle, 
this will be one of those ones that if this was if you have a similar season this season that you did last season I think you'd have got them I think just because we're still kind of a bit more of a name than you we've had this Liverpool have had this in the past when um Alexis Sanchez told us where to go inside for Arsenal instead. So we've still got that pull working in our favour. But, you know, just take it on the chin. You'll probably sign something absolutely ridiculous next well, I don't know. The more the days and weeks go on and we've just got one through the door so far. It's like we're just... It's 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 lovely to see that like the owners are not just going to like splash the cash willy-nilly. Mm. And they're just like, we've got a valuation in mind and we're not going any further than that. It's nice to see. But on the other hand, where it's like you could have had them. If we yeah. just if we just got it sorted like weeks ago, you could have had him, but we didn't get him. It's just a bit like, oh, I hope he doesn't turn out to be a very good player, which he probably will do. Just in case you didn't know, he's a massive fan of Steven Gerrard. He says, it's a great number about the number eight shit, and a lot of great players have this number. And I also have a tattoo. He said a tattoo from Steven Gerrard, which makes me wonder if Gerrard had the gun out himself just <laughs> doing it for him. Um, I don't even remember when, before, but his English isn't very good at this point, so I'm not going to bother reading the rest of the quote. What the tattoo says is, talent is a blessing from God, but without incredible will and humility, it is worthless. That's just, It sounds like a Steven Gerrard quote. <laughs> It doesn't sound like something you get as a tattoo, more like something you get you know, in a little frame on your desk. <laughs> Above but, your bed. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, very very happy. I was going to ask who uh, Newcastle are linked with, but we'll come on to Newcastle in a minute, so we'll save that. We'll there's save there's that. not a lot though, Jack, and that's the thing. There's not a lot. We're getting maybe Liv Ramento from Southampton. That's the big mm. one for like twenty anywhere. Well, depend what read anywhere between twenty five and forty million. <laughs> so, yeah. but outside of that, it's like Tenali through the door, and that's it. But anyway, Barcelona, they're continuing to spend money they don't have. Excuse me, 40 million euros for Atletico Paranese. I think that's how you say that. Uh, we'll see them land teenager Victor Roque, but the Brazil forward will not make the move until January. Roque made his uh, senior debut for Brazil uh, last March, more than, uh, less than a month after turning 18. By then, he'd already had a year under uh, with Atletico under his belt and had previously broken into the first team of Cruzeiro. It's the same club that handed Ronaldo his debut 30 years ago. The big overriding news here is how can they continue to spend more money? <laughs> Are they doing a Chelsea and trying to spread payments out over like 25 years or something? You'd assume so. Because they got yeah. it they obviously had lots of financial issues anyway, but now they've got the stadium renovation going on and yeah. they're buying players like Gundogan. Well, I know it's on a free transfer, but it's still a massive outlay, you would imagine. And now getting 40 million euro teenagers in from Brazil. Yeah. Well, what's the... I don't know why I'm asking this. It's a rhetorical question because we definitely don't know the answer. I wonder how much like the Spotify deals and like the kind of naming deals the new camp are bringing in because they must be eking their way out of financial ruin because surely no one can last this long flying by the seat of their pants. Yeah, you would think so, but I'm just looking at their deals they've done so far. There's some, obviously, Gundogan free transfer. Martinez from Athletic Bilbao is the other one they've got on a free transfer. So this would be the first money they've spent so far this season. On the departures list, you've got Griezmann going back to Atletico for €20 million. Uh, you've got Trincao going to Sporting uh, Lisbon for €7 million. Euros, and you've got Busquets leaving for Miami on a free transfer. And then I've released Samuel Untiti uh, this week as well as Jordi Alba. Then you look at last summer, or the arrivals throughout the 2022-2023 campaign, totals of £158 million pounds in, or sorry, euros in, then they recouped €40 million of that. So they're still spending money, but maybe not as yeah. much as it feels like. Well, the names you just mentioned there, that's a hell of a saving on the wage bill there. So, I don't know, perhaps they're just restructuring things and 
I don't know. We've we're we're, we're barely uh, football financial experts, but it's. It's a curious case, Barcelona. I'll leave it at that. We'll have to see what happens in two or three years' time. Maybe if something happens with Manchester City's investigation, maybe then, maybe then, mm. pool start to hit the fan. It, does, it almost sounds like you're willing for that to happen. Though. I don't know. I like no, they're my Spanish team, Barcelona. I'm the yeah. reason they were successful from 2004 onwards. Oh yeah, definitely. I went on a stadium tour in the summer of 2004. Then miraculously, under the Frank Rijkaard regime, things started happening, and I think that's <laughs> all down to my presence being there. Uh, Chelsea, <laughs> from one troubled place to another, they've announced the, start, uh, the signing of striker Nicholas Jackson from Villarreal. The Senegal striker signed a long-term contract at Stamford Bridge. Shock and horror of it all. It's probably eight, 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 eight years long. While Pochettino's on a two-year deal with the option of a third year. I can't see what might go wrong with Pochettino asking the players to do stuff and the players like well my contract's like four times length yours pal get out the door uh, Chelsea have agreed to play Villarreal more than 35 million euros which is what is, re- is release clause but it's going to be spread out over several instalments I didn't realise that Bournemouth made an offer or had a deal agreed back in January but the terms fell through as he failed a medical um, after the collapse of the deal he took a more of a star role at Villarreal in the second half of the season with nine of his 12 La Liga goals coming in the final eight games of the season this Again, feels like another example of Chelsea seeing someone's homework and copying it. The fact that, <laughs> I'll read that again, nine of his 12 La Liga goals came in the final eight games of the season. What about yeah. what about before those final eight games of the season? <laughs> it's Chelsea, it's weird that they are making signings when they've clearly got so many players they still need to get out the door. We said before about Mason Mount left, but... And obviously, um, thingy to Arsenal. I was talking about Havertz. Havertz. There we go. Old man Atkins strikes again. Um, I'd imagine that there's going to be more of a fire sale. This must be just one of those that we saw. Perhaps there must have been other interested parties apart from Bournemouth and gone in for him. That was the amb- that was the ambulance coming for you. Can you not hear it? No, I couldn't. No. Oh. That's, how, that's how old and deaf I'm getting. <laughs> Hey, get yourself booked in for the year clean and they'll change your life. What a time that is. Oh, 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 oh. Let's, let's go, let's tag team it. I get mine on the NHS. Up the NHS. Uh, Barcelona, we're apparently also in a direct battle with Real Madrid for Arda Gula. I think I've said that right, the young Turkish lad. But apparently he's going off to Real Madrid instead, the entire midfielder, who appears to be the dog's boss because I've seen a couple of compilations. Therefore, I'm a full expert on how this guy plays. He appears to yeah. be the second coming of Lionel Messi. I was watching, I think it was Wales versus Turkey, and he hit the bar. And I'm just like, wow, this guy's the best player ever. He's 18 years old as we're sat here right now. He's been capped four times by Turkey. Made his debut for Fenerbahce in August of 2021. Apparently the move is going to be around 20 million euros. What's your expert opinion on this guy that you've obviously seen a lot play football? I mean, like you, I am such an expert on Arda Gula from Fenerbahce. I don't know. It just always seems to be these young players as soon as Madrid or Barcelona have a sniff of it no one else has got a chance Um, perhaps though you were saying about Fenerbahce being linked with De Gea I wonder how long that's been in the works because perhaps they thought oh if we've got this 20 million coming in we can afford to pay him whatever he wants for six months (laughs) for at least yeah Um, but yeah I, I, I can't claim to know much about him but 
If you say he's the second coming of Messi, Ross, I'll trust you and your clean ears. You heard it here first. <laughs> Newcastle have completed the sign of Sandro Tonali this week. Well, I've not even apparently. They've got to pick him up from the airport just before we uh, we sat down to uh, do this podcast. I follow some people on Twitter who are stood at the training ground going, oh, look, the Newcastle chauffeur car van Mercedes thingy has left the training ground to go to the airport because his, his plane was landing at four o'clock. So he's in the country. Um, the deal is around £60 million, which makes him the the most expensive Italian of all time, I do believe. It's Georgina was up there, but I think Tonali's just pipped him. He signed a contract at St. James's Park until 2028 with maybe another year on top of that. He's the ideal Eddie Howe sign. I think we spoke about this a little bit last week. He just He's all over the shop. He's got a set piece on him. He's a bit nasty when he wants to be. He's the sort of guy who, when Sean Longstaff got injured last season and Sean Longstaff went out the team and we had to drop Bruno deeper and drop Joe Litton deeper and stop them doing what they do when they're going forwards, he's the exactly sort of thing we need in that position. There having long stuff as the backup for Tonali. Oh, 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 oh. So, you, do you think it is going to be a, a midfield free then of Tonali, Bruno, and Joe Linton? Yeah, or Joe Willick that's... with him and Joe Linton swapping. That's what we like to do. It's, a... <laughs> it's, it's quite tasty, that, isn't it? It's on paper, very, definitely. Very tasty midfield. But I still think we need more players in the door at Newcastle. Who they are, we've got no idea as I'm trying to hold in a sneeze while talking. Um, have you seen any rumours about Newcastle side, anybody, Jackins? Uh, not really, just apart from the ones that obviously Liverpool have been linked with as well. Um, I don't know, what What do you, what would be your ideal window then? With the times left, what, what are you crying out for? A left back, a starting yeah. left back, because Dan Byrne, while he's solid, you're always thinking to yourself, ooh, imagine if we had... A good left back, how much better this would be. Um, another centre back, because while Jamal Lascelles, he did very well when he came in against Manchester City away from home last summer, he's just not up to scratch. Say, so if we're away in the Champions League against someone massive and there's a bit of an injury crisis at the centre of defence, we need someone better. I think we got yeah. loosely linked with Mark Gehi from Crystal Palace, but apparently he was going to cost 60 million quid, which we're not going to pay for him. That's never going to happen. So maybe no. a centre-half from abroad somewhere. Uh, in the midfield, I think we need at least one, maybe two wingers, and depending on what Alan St. Maximan does. The more time goes on, the more I think he's just going to go uh, somewhere else, maybe AC Milan or maybe even... Sorry, um, yeah, so it's just because it's just it's him and Eddie Howe. I just don't think are made to work together. As harsh as that is, I think uh, Alan St. Maximan is just a guy you just need to leave just to play. I think Steve Bruce had it right when he's just like, if we put ten people behind the ball and Maxi that way, that's all we need to do. That's all he did, and I think that's where Maxi likes to play. So then, and maybe even a backup striker as well. Just because yeah. we like to play Isaac on the left, Wilson up front, and then you look outside of those options, and it's a little bit thin, isn't it? A little bit thin. Yeah. So maybe I mean, we're four or five away from being all right for the season. <laughs> <laughs> like we were saying then, though, on paper, you, you've you've got a good squad. And like you said, the wonders Eddie Howe's done with it already, you'll be, you'll be fine. Yeah. Even if you brought no one, no one else in, it'd be a bit of a disaster, but you'd be more than fine. I'm just looking there, Harvey Barnes. Underrated Harvey Barnes from our underrated Premier League 11 of the season for last campaign is getting linked to Newcastle now. Even stronger yeah. now that uh, Madison's gone to Tottenham. I mean, that'd be. How much do you reckon you get him for, though? It's going to be 40, 50 million quid, isn't it? Something like that, because he's English. Yeah. The dirty English tax. English tax, it's uh, Leicester don't want to sell tax and it's Newcastle a minted tax. So, yeah. 
Up the taxes. <laughs> Ruben Loftus-Cheek has gone to AC Milan from Chelsea for somewhere in the region of £18 million on a four-year contract. 155 appearances for Chelsea in all competitions, and I struggle to believe that's a thing that's actually true. I know he was there for a long time. I tell you what, I was on work experience at the Shields Gazette in my final year of uni, the 2013-2014 season. And as part of that two-week stint, I had to go and report. I interviewed Pardew in the daytime which was nice, with uh, Miles Starf off the reporter. And then I had to go to a youth ca- a youth game on the evening where Ruben Loftus-Cheek was playing. And Ruben Loftus-Cheek in 2014, it would have been, was the size Ruben Loftus-Cheek is now playing with under 18s, whatever it would have been back then. And it was a sight to see. But it is yeah. weird to see how his career didn't kick on because obviously he was earmarked as some players always are, like the next big thing for English football. But he's never really nailed down a place, has he? He's not. I don't know if he's a... A centre midfielder? Is he a right midfielder? Is he a holder midfielder? Is he a attack midfielder? He just seems to be used as and when Chelsea have needed him over the past however many years he's been there. Yeah, I mean, he, he seems part of the furniture. Like you said, there was a lot of talk about him as he was coming up. Like you said, the, the exciting young British talent. But he different kind of player. But it reminds me of like when Chelsea had John Obi McCall, John McCall Obi. I, I know his name switched around at some point. Um <laughs> But is I can't remember seeing him play. If you know what I mean, he, he never stood out. He, I mean, he was there for so long. Like he said, 155 appearances for Loftus Cheek. That's mental. You divide that by ten, because you know I was yeah. watching him in the youth team in 2014. That's a, that's a decent haul. <laughs> I don't know what. Yeah, <laughs> Especially when he's had a couple of loan appearance, uh, loan stints. Like uh, I think Crystal Palace was one, and Fulham was another one. Um, I'm yeah. sure there's more on top of that as well with it being Chelsea. But yeah, he's 27 years of age now. Fair play to his agent for getting him to move to you know the team that got to the semi-finals of the Champions League last season. Obviously, he'll be out there with Tamuri now. Who. Mm. It, it staggers me that he doesn't get more of a look in for England, just how good he is. He won Serie A, for goodness sake, but Gareth won't pick him because it's Club England, can't drop Maguire. Um, so we'll have to see how he does out there, but I think his England career is over now that he's gone there just because Gareth Southgate is the way he is. <laughs> I mean, like you're saying, it's £18 million as well, me being like a bit sly, just like, oh, that's probably broken the Italian transfer record because they're all quite tight <laughs> these days, even though, you know, Back in the, the glory days of Serie A in the 90s and early 2000s, they were splashing the cash. Most expensive, and we're going for it, uh, Serie... Oh, there'll, there'll, there'll be loads, but... Transfer record, Serie A, here we go. Are you ready? A little, little shock of as, as to who's top. Cristiano Ronaldo, 117 million euros. Uh, yeah. Then Lukaku was 113 million euros. Paul Pogba was 105 million. I think that's when he went to Man United. Yeah, 16, 17. Gonzalo yeah. Higuain to Juventus, 90 million euros. Really? <laughs> 16, 17, yeah. Uh, Delict in 1920 going to Juventus was 85.5 million euros. Uh, Vlahovic was 81.6 when he went to Juventus. Arthur Mello? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, what was eighty point six? So they're all like in the last. Well, you go back to twenty sixteen, so the last seven odd years, whatever well, it is. I mean, but, outside of Juventus, it seems. Yeah, but then you go back to the O one O two campaign when a certain Zinedine Zidane joined Real Madrid for seventy seven point five million euros. So there was uh, a yeah. a fairly big drought there for this, the Serie A clubs in terms of like you know that stupid amount of money range. Yeah, well, it, it's the thing you were saying about Arthur Mello as well, saying that. One of the videos I was watching this week about the Savasly signing is that compared to like everything else, the 
the fact that Arthur Mello is still one of the most expensive midfield signs of all time is quite strange. And I think Zidane is still in the top 10 most expensive midfielders or something that like that. Um, but yeah, that's getting completely away from the point. £18 million, pounds, fair play to your AC Milan. I've had my pants pulled down by Google once more. But you, <laughs> you know when you have like an idea in your head of yeah. how the league operates? Yeah, I, I just in my head I was just like, ah, the, the Italian teams are all quite cheap these days because they all seem to be absolutely skint. So <laughs> who knows? Football passes us by, that's for sure. James Madison, we will touch on him as well. 2028, his deal at Spurs runs for, apparently, uh, the could be add-ons, which will make the total deal go to 45 million. Newcastle and other teams were apparently quoted 60 million by Leicester. Um, it's, a, it's a really, really good signing, especially for Spurs. I think he's a, a typical Spurs player, if you want, you know, a bit showboaty, a bit fancy, nice on the eye. 10 Premier League goals last season and nine assists in 30 appearances, uh, for, which is incredible for a team that went down. It's really good signing for Spurs. Is it enough to keep Harry Kane? We don't know as we're sat here. No, because we were contemplating this recently when we were saying well, what keeps him. And we, you'd think if if the Spurs board had gone to him and said, look, we're, we're looking at these players, we've actually got um, some ambitious signings planned. James Madison does give them a kick up the arse on paper. Uh, I, can, I can't imagine him not settling well at Tottenham. Yeah, uh, And like you said... A good deal all round, forty-five million for less than, like you said, if it could reach as much as sixty, they're laughing. I was going to say, it's just, again, it's like Newcastle got quoted sixty, we weren't going anywhere near that, and he's gone there for forty-five. What, what's, what's wrong with Newcastle? That's a rhetorical question. Don't answer it. I don't want to know. I know what the issues are. But what's wrong with Newcastle? Anyway, that's a good signing for Spurs there. And Ange Postacoglu. Patrick Vieira is back in football management. He's been appointed the new manager of Strasbourg in France on a three-year contract. He was sacked by Crystal Palace in March, who... By the way, have announced that Roy Hudson is going to be uh, their manager for the upcoming season, playing that sexy, attractive football. <laughs> Never say that again. With, with that what, was horrible. Way, way, way Lewington is his assistant. I can't, I'm going to stop doing that. It's a speech impediment. <laughs> he can't help it. Uh, the Chelsea owners, of course, recently agreed that he'll buy the majority stake in Strasbourg, who finished 15th in the French top fight last season, five points above the relegation zone. Could this be a case of maybe. A modern, this is going to sound weird to you, a modern day boot room kind of situation where he's taking charge of Strasbourg. Maybe not because he was manager in New York City, wasn't he, for a period of time and didn't end yeah. up Manchester City manager. So maybe I've just talked myself out of a point there. But you know what I'm saying? Well, you never know because he, he was linked with the Leeds job recently as well. Um, and like you said, it's Strasbourg aren't exactly pulling up trees in the French League, are they? So. No, but you could see him being there for a couple of years, then go to Chelsea. Because that yeah, makes sense, doesn't it? I he don't knows. know. Yeah. yeah, but he's back in football management and fair play. Because I don't want to see him fall away as well. Because that Ch- that Crystal Palace team of like not last season but the season before was looking quite nice with you know yeah. Eze and Elise and people like that. It just then the goals just stopped going in. Yeah, Strange. It, 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 it there was a few teams just last season just kind of like plummeted all at once, wasn't there? You had like um, well Palace, West Ham, and Leicester just all seemed to go into free fall, and luckily. You know, Palace and West Ham turned it round, but Leicester just kept on. 
Yeah, Jose Mourinho news now. He's been reprimanded for his treatment of match officials. A different one to the Europa Conference League, uh, the, sorry, the Europa League final after his stuff with Anthony Taylor, which incited the Roma fans. He's been given a 10-day touchline ban by Syria. Um, this is on top of the four-match suspension by UEFA for his aggressive out- outburst towards Anthony Taylor in the aftermath of the Europa League final defeat to Sevilla. He's now been charged by Syria for comments made by Roma's one uh, following Roma's 1-1 draw against Monza towards the end of last season. This is what he said. I'm not stupid, you know. Today, I went to the game with a mic. Microphone. I recorded everything from the moment I left the locker room to the moment I returned. I protected myself. This is what Mourinho said after confronting referee Daniele Chifi. What a great name. Uh, this is what Mourinho <laughs> continued on saying. <laughs> Hello, I'm Mr. Chifi. He is the worst. This is what Mourinho said about Mr. Chiefy. He is the worst referee I have met in my life. He is the worst. Technically, he's horrible. Zero empathy, zero communication, zero awareness. He is horrible. He makes no human connection with anyone. He has no empathy. He gives a red card to a player who slips because he exhausted. He is exhausted in the ninety-sixth minute. <laughs> so. I don't think he likes them. Uh, Mourinho and Roma have also been fined €50,000 by the Italian FA, with the manager set to miss their season opener in August. Now, it's odd when we read the stuff of Mourinho's relationship with certain players, not all the players, because obviously he felt like he was Frank Lampard and John Terry's second dad when he was manager of Chelsea. But then you have examples like the Paul Pogba stuff and other players said he just treated them like he, they were poo on the bottom of mm. his shoe. So it's weird to see Mourinho going after someone for being empathetic. Yeah, um, this is... A debate that's been rumbling on though obviously Mourinho I don't think he's ever going to change I don't think he's ever going to learn um but we should be able to hold referees accountable he obviously goes too far and it is good that he has been hit for the stuff with Anthony Taylor because that was just ugly but it shouldn't be he's given his opinions of someone involved in a match and he's been fined 50 grand for it I don't know if Daniele Shifi um, gave a statement himself, but he probably didn't. Uh, it's one of them. I'm just always going to contradict myself. Referees should be protected, but they should also be held accountable. <laughs> How can you have one without the other? That's the thing. No, but if, imagine this: if if Mourinho was maybe shown an interview with Mister Chiefy before he went on his outburst to the press, mm. maybe that would have calmed him down a bit. And then maybe it's like, if he was like, "This is why I sent that player off." Obviously, if Mourinho is out there shouting and screaming at Mister Chiefy, going like, "Why have you done this?" He's not going to be able to take in what Chiefy said to him, surely. Yeah, true. Uh, he's just he's he's a hothead. He, he's the. He needs to cool it down a bit, and also referees need to give post-match interviews. Those two things coming together, I'll never see Mourinho banned again. See, Ross Tweddle here is my filter. He takes the words from this 75-year-old tired man and puts them in a way that is palatable to our audience. So thank you, Ross. I don't know what it is, though, but I can just picture Mr. Chiefy in a wheelchair in his 70s just saying, Chiefy, baby, just like he's the Iron Sheik. I mean, you know, whatever helps you get to sleep at night. Down the Mourinho, that sort of stuff. (laughs) Anyway... On a more wholesome football news, Forest Green Rovers have named Hannah Dingley. Dingley, ding, dingley, dong. I've tried to make a Claudio Ranieri reference there, and it's gone horribly wrong. As their new caretaker boss, making her the first woman to manage a professional men's team in English football. The League Two side, though, this was weird, sacked Duncan Ferguson on Tuesday after just six months in charge. And then uh, they announced Dingley. Uh, the club's academy head will put in caretaker charge uh, of the first team. Her first match in charge will be a friendly against Melksham Town on Wednesday up the Malksham I don't know who they are do you 
Nah. Nah. Uh, she first joined the club back in 2019 to take charge of the academy and remains the only woman to manage a men's football league academy. Um, Dingley was born and raised in Com- in, in where? Carmarthenshire. Never heard of that before. And also initiated the club's girls' academy, which launched in 2021. She has, crucially, the UEFA Pro license and previously worked at Burton Albion. She's fully qualified... The only thing I can compare this to is when we were we nippers back in the day and we had a, a, a woman referee for the first time. And honestly, you go from how you talk to a male referee when you're like 16, going like, oh, ref, you're full of this, that, and the other, all the swear words and whatnot. But when a lady was on the pitch, the discipline she had over those boys, it was incredible. So I could only imagine this will work in a similar vein. That's the only sort of rationale I can put into how this will be better than a male manager being in charge. It's, yeah. it's, it's about tight, because how Emma Hayes hasn't made the jump yet, I don't know. No, and I mean, if, if any team were going to be the first to make a progressive move like this, it was going to be Forest Green Rovers, wasn't it? Um, I didn't realise how badly Ferguson was doing there, because when he was signed, I thought, oh, this would be this would be good for all involved, but he, he pooed the bed. I've not got the numbers here, but they, they didn't make for good reading. Keep going, um, Jack. They, I'll, I'll, I'll get them. Duncan Ferguson. Obviously, Forest Green Rovers, if, you, if you're not aware of them very progressive team uh i think a vegan diet for all the players the they're gonna have a wooden stadium aren't they soon yeah they're just the the, the kind of the the goodies of football so if um yeah dingley is well yeah in the in the top four leagues of english football first female boss of the men's game fine um just judge her on her performances and her style rather than who she is exactly Exactly, Jack Atkins. Uh, Duncan Ferguson, I thought, had done well as Everton's interim manager. Um, four, well, five games in total over his two stints. You know, one was in 2019, one was in 2022. One win out of those five games, three draws and uh, another loss. Then at Forest Green, took over January the 26th this year, left on the 4th of July, obviously. Played 18, won one. Drawn three, lost 14. Pretty bad, that isn't it? Oh, yeah. what is it about him? I don't know. He seems to be a good number two because obviously you're terrified of him, but I don't know. He just doesn't seem to have the kind of tactical mouse needed to fully lead a football team. I need to find this video quickly. If I can find it in the next five seconds, we'll play it on the podcast because it is absolutely sensational. I'm not going to be able to find it. Basically, it must have been after that one win as far as Green Rovers manager. Someone filmed Duncan Ferguson at the petrol station and he was raving in his car. I forget what song yeah. it was. What song was it? Was it Point of Sisters or something? Yeah. Something like that. I can't remember what I it was. So. It yeah. was just a song you wouldn't expect Duncan Ferguson to be... Um, to be Raven 2 in his car. Anyway, all the best to Mrs. Dingley. I don't know if you Miss Dingley. I shouldn't say that. The, up the Dingleys. All the Dingleys. Um, <laughs> you sum, by the way, you summed up really well there. Judge on her performance, now who she is. I can't wait to see them go up this season. Imagine that. Yeah. They'll be dancing on the streets of Forest Green. That's all. <laughs> Forest Green <laughs> Town Centre. Right, now we move on. to. I've just realised we've been going over an hour for this new segment. This is going to be a record-breaking podcast, but it has been a busy week. A Daily yeah. Mail exclusive has revealed, apparently, the FA Cup faces a radical shake-up that will see replays and the standalone final weekend axed as the FA prepare to seek control of the tournament to the Premier League in a huge TV deal. It's going to happen, apparently, from the 2024-2025 season. The FA are preparing to hand control of the competition over to the Premier League that would give the top-flight clubs control over the entire domestic calendar FA Cup replays could be scrapped which is obviously horrible news for teams down the pyramid 
those are massive money generators, especially for, you know, a Forest Green Rovers gets a draw away yeah. at Anfield. It's a massive money spinner for them, which should be taken away, which is horrible to see, because I doubt that money will be replaced by the way the football's structured. Uh, the early rounds will be moved into midweeks, which I think is also terrible, because FA Cup third round weekend is my highlight of the football season most seasons. I love it. And the final stage on an ordinary Premier League weekend from the 2024-2025 season, and the biggest shake-up in the competition's 152-year history. That is a load of bollocks as well. We want standalone FA Cup final weekend so it means something at the end of the year in May and searing temperatures that's what it's all about the FA Cup final yeah it's 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 clearly one of those where it, it's been designed if it all goes through to help the Premier League teams and it's just going to make for a boring FA Cup there's going to be no magic of the cup anymore um there's we've spoken about ways to alleviate player burnout but this is not the way the FA Cup's great. Leave it as it is. Exactly. But this change is coming around, obviously, because of money. And that money is affecting the Champions League. And that has having a knock-on effect now for the domestic competitions in England, it would seem. The Champions League from 2024 will feature 10 matches in the group stages as they go to that weird league thing, which I still don't fully understand. But we'll see mm. how, it, how it tastes when it happens. Uh, the FA insists that the tender process uh, for overseas rights remains ongoing. But it is understood that Chief Executive Mark Bullingham is minded to accept the Premier League's offer and their terms, which include the uh, the the abolition of uh, the abolition, sorry, of FA Cup replays, uh, the prospect of early rounds of the competition being played midweek. Disagree. The end of the, the standalone FA Cup weekend going away with a shove piece occasion being brought forward to clash with regular Premier League fixtures every year. Don't agree with that. The FA no. Cup final will be like be held at, on the penultimate Saturday of the season with a full Premier League schedule taking place on the Sunday. I guess that's the best of a horrible situation, if you want to put it that way. A 10-year yeah. deal to sell foreign TV rights all overseas markets and the possibility of subsequently selling domestic rights, which are currently held by the BBC and ITV. That is a horrible move as well because uh, obviously it's hard enough to watch the Champions League over here without spending your arm and your leg every weekend without this happening yeah. as well. An increased in offer... Uh, it, an increased offer payment from the Premier League to the FA to fund grassroots football. That's just like, here's a poo sandwich, but it's garnished with lovely butter. That's a horrible analogy, but you know what I'm trying to say. Some Walker's sensations on the side. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're always hearing about that. Oh, there's going to be a payment from the FA in the Premier League to fund grassroots football, but it's usually very tokenistic. It's not ever a life-changing amount of money, is it? I... Yeah, I don't like this. I don't like this at all. It's nonsense, isn't it? I think it'll be the death of the FA Cup, good and proper. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> I mean, what else is there to say? We, there's the shake-ups to be done in the game, the shake-ups to be done of the cup, but this is not the way. No. This is not the way at all. Not at all. And we end the new section, which is going to be over an hour and ten minutes long this week, I guess. Whoa. <laughs> uh, Paris Saint-Germain head coach Christophe Gaultier has been taken into police custody relating to allegations of discrimination from his time as manager of Nice. He's been accused of racism and Islamophobia uh, during that previous spell as Nice manager. An email supposedly from the former Nice director Julien Fournier in which uh, concerns were raised about working with the manager due to his attitude and response to the squad's black and Muslim players was leaked earlier this year. Gaultier has denied such allegations and his lawyer revealed plans to pursue legal actions against the 
insulting and defamatory remarks following the leak, with the PSG boss receiving new uh, re- receiving emergency protection in the last few months, which is a weird thing to hear, emergency protection mm-hmm. like that. Uh, but now Goldier has lost his job as PSG managers, where Satya had just got the notification through from uh, live scores. The confirmed have PSG that Luis Enrique is their new manager, so he's out of work, which makes you think there's maybe something to this, although we can't sit here and obviously speculate about that. It's obviously just not nice to read is it yeah um and if it is true by the way that's it he's done finished get him off the game yeah, yeah. He, as he should be um yeah this is the first time hearing of this i knew that he wasn't the most popular figure at psg itself but like you're saying if there's any grain of truth in this get him off the game get him gone he could be a contender for twat of the week which is coming up in a couple of segments time after our highlight of the week. For me, there's only one contender, and I'm just going to play the audio because it's <laughs> weird. It's weird as bowels. Mahaba, Anna, Steven Gerrard. Anna, El <laughs> See you soon. Mahaba, Anna, Steven Steven Gerrard obviously announces the Saudi, the manager of that Saudi Arabian team that we can't really say otherwise will get demonetized because of the last uh, syllable of their name. Um, <laughs> he's done a, a little video... First and foremost, in the announcement video itself, the, because it's Gerard and his ties to Liverpool Football Club, uh, "You Never Walk Alone" was used as the the backing track of the mm-hmm. of the thing. How did that make you feel? It's it's an anthem for several clubs, isn't it? I mean, they've got all the money in the world, haven't they? So they'll just they'll license it. It's one of them. <laughs> But just in case you haven't seen the clip itself, Gerard, I don't know what's happened to him since leaving Aston Villa, but it looks like he's had a lot of Botox, a lot of fillers, I think the uh, the, the, the people in the trade call it. I know you said the lasses there, but fellas get it done as well, don't they? Uh, up yeah. the fillers. Um, but uh, it, it, he just doesn't, he looks like an AI generated version of himself. He's speaking like your dad does on holiday. It's everything you want from this sort of announcement. As weird as it is to say, because he's off to Saudi Arabia and obviously the Saudi Pro League taking over football. That's another big name going over there. Um, it's just, it's a funny video. In the same way that I compare it to like Joey Barton when he was at Marseille, Steve McLaren when he was manager of FC20. Or we, <laughs> we, we, we go to the Emirates for a draw, you know? We uh, play good, good football, uh, <laughs> a division. <laughs> <laughs> it's in that same bracket for me the way he was talking there it's Gerard's a weird one because we were saying before about him um, is this the end of his managerial career him basically putting the final you know nail in the coffin and I'm saying that he's not a charismatic man and this reminds me of do you remember the Pringles advert years ago with Stephen Gerrard it? I don't know you have to run me through this so when this came out this was all me and my mates were saying for the whole summer most of them won the World Cup years but there's a you know Pringles oh there's nothing cooler than Pringles I do like a Pringle um, who but doesn't it's just, of, it's just loads of people just doing loads of kicky ups with um, Pringles Roberto Carlos has got them and you know he's just farting around these Pringles and he cuts to Steven Gerrard and goes oh the bear so pass the Pringles and he kicks it <laughs> to Gerrard takes it on the chest and the that's all we were saying for about six months. Oh, the bear so past the Pringles. Is there a licensed tune in the background of that advert? I'm going to have to try and find it now. I can't remember. I can't remember. Gerard it Pringles al- advert. It also reminds me of after the Istanbul final. My cousin used to get the official LFC magazine. And in the like next few issues of it, the back page was Steven Gerrard wearing the... Um, 
kits from the, the previous four times he won it and you know had him posing with the, the title and he's just one of those he was just smiling with his teeth but not with his eyes he looked like he was being held at gunpoint he was like yeah there's me again and it's just like he just he's, it seems that if he's not playing football or talking about football or battering someone for not playing <laughs> Phil Collins he's a very uncomfortable and very stiff man I found the clip let's have a listen Oi, oh, that's the Pringles <laughs> That, that, that was played at normal speed. <laughs> it's 100 miles an hour. How he's talking? I don't remember being that. the Pringles. Pass the Pringles. Up the Pringles. Only the best. Oh, pass the Pringles. <laughs> Roberto's buzzing, by the way, that he's got some ready salted Pringles in his hands. Of course, yes. Once you pop, you just can't stop. We're not sponsored by Pringles, but let me say, I will sell out for any any amount of money. Don't oh, worry. a pair of boys can dream. Let me tell you. Imagine that a sponsorship from Pringles. Oh, but anyway, that's my highlight of the week. I think Jackins has not got anything this week, so we'll just say no, Gerard. Really. Gerard looked like a fake AI version of himself. His teeth is what? What's he done to his teeth? That's not no, a boy it, from Liverpool, is it? It looks like it's it's, it's a boy who's been to Turkey by the looks of things. <laughs> But we well, who's to say? Who's to say? Obviously, it's a love, just a lovely dentist that he has. I don't know what I'm saying there. <laughs> um, from highlight of the week, we go to the twilight of the week. It could be Christoph Galtier, as we just spoke about there, if those allegations prove to be true. But I'm going to bring to the table Richard Keyes, because since the last time we recorded this podcast, it's been a double whammy for Richard Keyes in the news this week. First and foremost, shamed. This is from, uh, I think it was a report from the Daily Mail. Mm. A lovely, upstanding newspaper over here in the UK saying, shamed former Sky Sports presenter Richard Keyes, 66 years of age, marries 33, <laughs> sorry, 35-year-old friend of his daughter in Devon after denying he left his wife for her while she was fighting cancer. The former Sky Sports News presenter, 66, married Lucy Rose, 35, in a 20 grand ceremony attended by family and friends, which did not include his 38-year-old daughter, Gemma, or son, Joshua. He split from Julia Keyes after 36 years of marriage, in which the news of his shock relationship emerged in 2016, with his ex revealing how the affair devastated her as she recovered from thyroid cancer and also wrecked the lives of their two children. Julia said the affair ruined the career of Hollyoaks actress daughter as she spiralled into alcoholism and depression. Gemma also faced legal action over a string of abusive texts she sent to Lucy before the charges were dropped by prosecutors. So he's going to deny it, but all the pieces oddly fit together. Yeah, he's uh, he's not. He doesn't seem a very nice man, Richard. He's, he's disgusting. Not, he's 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 horrible, isn't he? Yeah. He's he's classless. He he's just got. He's, just an egotistical arsehole. I just get the just the arrogance of the man. Um, he's got proper hairy hands too. He has as well. He, he's like a Robin Williams level of hair, just about you know the the lovable nature of Robin Williams. Yes, yeah. everything else that made Robin Williams Robin Williams. That's just, just they share they share hairy hands, and that's it. Yeah, disgusting. I mean, it, it, it's it's been a double whammy for Richard Pease. Because, uh, yeah, I've got him for my twat of the week as well. Because it was all that stuff. Because when that happened, we were chatting in the work chat last week and we were just all putting boots into Richard Keyes for being a knobhead. Um, <laughs> was it today or was it yesterday? When it was he, yesterday. Uh, yeah, a screenshot of uh, Fab Romano's Instagram post talking about Steven Gerrard. Um, but he, he shared the screenshot but forgot to crop it. And it had pictures at the bottom that he'd been sharing. So the last, Andy. I think it was the last 10 things that himself and yeah. uh, Andy Gray would have shared together that was at the bottom of this thing. So that caused Twitter to try and work out exactly what those pictures were. And someone recognised a meme, and it was mm. 
a meme with the joke caption, congratulations to my nephew on his graduation. That's him on the left. And it's that's the, that's the caption because the nephew sort of blurred out in the background. And in the foreground is this busty lady. Yeah, and it was just another grubby yada moment from Richard Keyes. And I think there was another um, post with it that was like a little bit transphobic as well. Wow. Um, and it was just... He's just an arsehole. He's just he's just an arsehole. But he's... he'll he'll still appear on that uh, Dubai channel. Is it being sports where him and Andy Gray live now? Where he just come out with horrible takes. That what's Nagelsmann got that Frank Lampard doesn't have? Uh, he's, he's terrible. He... I don't understand why anyone would hire him. No one likes him. No one respects him. And his takes are terrible. Yeah, a bit like me. So... <laughs> <laughs> hey, whose daughter are you going to take the jack? Because that's the question now. Oh, who knows. <laughs> That's a weird question to ask someone. Yeah, that's horrible. (laughs) Uh, The mailbag. It's time for the mailbag. The Roberto mailbag, everybody. The onion bag. I don't know what we're calling this segment officially yet, but those are the two options we have so far. Ross at holdengift.com. If you want to get in contact, Eddie, how's it going, lads? I like the pun straight away. As an Aussie and a lifelong hammer family played for reserves in the 80s can we have a name please I have conflicting emotion about Ange at Spurs especially seeing the manager turnover in football for the last 15 years will he be given the chance to succeed I'm not sure he will Aussies know Ange is class and underappreciated I want the man to be uh, to be successful I was there when we beat South Korea with Son Heung-min up front in the 2015 Asian Cup final and the football he had the national team playing then and at the following World Cup was a joy he's done it He's done it his way in multiple countries and leagues, so I hope his story turns out more like Wenger did uh, when he came from Japan and less like De Boer from Ajax and Inter. Two questions, and so I've not forgotten my glasses again, so I'm a bit like I can't, I can't quite see. Um, do you think he'll get the, the get the time to get them ticking? Maybe Spurs no, uh, maybe Spurs only need a rebuild helps this. I would agree with that. I think he's going to be given at least two seasons. You'd hope, like you're saying, they've already signed James Madison, which is not a full statement of intent, but a statement that they are taking a kind of rebuild seriously. It all depends, like everything with Spurs, I think, on Harry Kane. Yeah. Um, if Either if Harry Kane stays and, you know, is buoyed enough that he's still going to... Not that he won't play for them, if you know me, but if he's still going to give it his all. Or if he does go, if they give him the means or the money to effectively replace him, it, it all hinges on Kane for me. Yeah, and I just think you look at how, what happened with Mourinho and uh, Conte. They know yeah. now that the big names don't work at Spurs. So this is like no. a, a not as big name, so maybe they'll just give him more of a crack at the whip. But then again, maybe that could work against him because he's got not, no real reputation in England. Obviously, we know what he did with the Australian national team. We know what he did with Celtic, with obviously Rangers up there, which makes his accomplishments a little bit more impressive than uh, than Bren Dogs for me. Um, yeah. But maybe that could count against him. I just think they need to give him time. You look at what... I mean, there'll be a Spurs fan listening who hates me for saying this, but look at Arsenal with Arteta. Look what happened there. He was yeah. wanted out by you'd have to say 60-70% of the Arsenal fan base it felt like at the time because um, they sort of dropped back down to where they were under the latter days of Wenger and Emery but he's given them time they've invested in the right places and look where they are now challenging for the league and I mean this is going to be doing a, a, a huge favour to uh, Postacoglu and I don't mean it in this way but like Ferguson his first few years at United was really kind of flattering to deceive wasn't he and he wasn't really achieving much and then became obviously Alex Ferguson so are you saying then that uh, Postacoglu could be the next Martin Yeo? Yes. About? <laughs> yeah. The next Harry Redknapp. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, and the second part of the question is, who is your underappreciated gem slash hero for your club or country? Up the wazoo, and that's from Clip. Up the clip. Mm. For, I'm going to go for, for country, a player that I really liked. Um, Owen Hargreaves. I always liked Owen Hargreaves for England. And um, his career cut short by injury, didn't he, really, at yeah, the top he, level? He was like the new Darren Anderson in that respect. <laughs> but what World Cup was it? Um, oh, six it would have been. Six, yeah. yeah. And he was just, he was immense. Did he get his move to United after that World Cup? I think so, yeah. But he was fantastic. He was one of these that you always heard of because, you know, as, as a kid, you'd be like, recognise him, recognise him, recognise him. Ooh, Bayern Munich. And, you know, we hear bits and bobs, but... Yeah, I was always a big fan of Aaron Hargreaves. I was gutted when he went to United, but you know, it wasn't wasn't the most fruitful run for him. Nah, Andros Townsend. Yeah. When I was an England fan travelling around Europe watching England play, Andros Townsend was one of England's main men. I remember him twatting one in on his debut and off the post at Wembley. I was there in Turin at Juventus's ground under the, under the Alps. It was a beautiful setting watching Andros Townsend get the equaliser, I think, in a 1-1 draw away for Italy. I, if... I'm sat here now having not prepared for this question and Andros Townsend is the name that's coming to the top of my head at the moment. You've got to go with your heart sometimes, haven't you? Yeah, there must be a better example than that. Darius Vassell, I always question how he got the way he got to an England team. Sven yeah. loved Darius Vassell. Oh, God, yeah. He was bang average in the Premier League, I <laughs> Best thought. Best name on the team sheet, Darius yeah. <laughs> Um, Underappreciated England players. Oh, should we go for a club now? Can you think of one for Liverpool? Oh, I don't know, because we, we've got lots of cult heroes. Obviously, we had Divock Rigi recently and things like that. So we, we we like to get behind players. I'd possibly say Lucas Lever. He turned it around in the end and won the club over, but at first we hated him. It was a bit like Joe Linton at Newcastle. Yeah. Couldn't stand him. And then when we dropped him back a bit and played him in midfield, yeah, everyone was just like, oh, been a bit harsh on Lucas there. Yeah, the current Newcastle squad to Sean Longstaff. He's just when he's not there, the knock-on effect it has for different players in that that Newcastle team. It's 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 amazing to see how big of a hole he does leave when he's not there because it doesn't feel like he's doing a lot when he is there. He's obviously yeah. le- leading the press and whatnot. But when he mi- he goes missing, Jolinton and uh, Bruno are not the same players. But you go back through time, it must be about ten years to the day since we sold James Perch to Wigan. For 750 grand, he was like the second coming of Claude Makaleli. It was fantastic. I loved James yeah. Perch, watched him smash people. Um, you go further back afield, um, underappreciated for Newcastle. Let's go like let's go one this decade, then one from the noughties and one from the 90s, and then I think that's that's the end of the discussion. So this decade for me, I'm going to put my, my, my thing on Sean Longstaff for Newcastle. Yeah, this decade for me, weirdly... Genie Wijnaldum. Whoa! He got all the big goals. He did, but he That's was just, weird. He got all the big goals. He was he was so underappreciated. Those people who was basically driving him out of the club because, as I was saying before, he's one of those that when he did his job well, you didn't notice him. So people were just like, "Ah, oh, he's stealing, living here, Wijnaldum," and it's taken us the best part of what, like five, six transfer windows to actually replace him. Um, I'd say Genie Wijnaldum, very underappreciated, especially after he left and we're like, oh, kind of didn't know what we had until he was gone. So then, the noughties, 
I'm going Aaron Hughes straight away for Newcastle. When I was growing up, that Newcastle team that got into the Champions League was shocking. Defensively shocking. <laughs> but Aaron Hughes, he could play centre-back, he could play left-back when he needed him to. He was primarily the right-back when I was getting into football. Like I could lame that Newcastle team off the back of me hand straight away. Given in goal. Although Bobby Robinson flip-flopped with him and Harper for a while. But given in goal, Hughes, O'Brien, or Dabizas, Bramble, or Stephen Caldwell, Bernard at left-back, Robert left-midfield, Speed, Jenna Sadaya. Then he had Salon on the right, Bellamy Shearer, Amiobi in the in the in the in the reserves, Luar Luar floating around as well. But Aaron Hughes was amazing. And when we sold him to Fulham, you just it's one of those ones where you don't know what you got till it's gone. And he's he's yeah. he is that man, Mr. Mr. Hughes. I don't I was trying to think of a punny name, I couldn't think of one. <laughs> the fire in your eyes then was oh. genuinely nice to see. Oh, I love Aaron Hughes. Um the one that's coming to mind again is just Jimmy Triori. He wasn't under undervalued really because <laughs> he wasn't even very good. I think it was just the fact that we had a song that told him how crap he was. And it's just what was it? Stuff. Please run me through this song. Um. Oh God. Now, oh, it was to the tune of "Blame It on the Boogie" by uh, Jackson Five, and it was uh, "Don't blame it on Gerard, don't blame it on Alonso." Don't blame it on... Bishkan. Yeah, blame it on Traore. <laughs> he just can't. He just can't. He just can't control his feet. And so did, he did, that come off the, did that come off the back of that own goal at Burnley? It was just, a, you know, a, a series of diminishing returns for Jimmy Traore. <laughs> but he's he's kind of remembered fondly now for being a bit rubbish. <laughs> was he the one that went off at half-time in the Champions League final or came on? He... Ooh, I think he went, went off, off, didn't he? Yeah. Aye. Anyway, you know, shocking play. One of the greatest nights of my life, and it's it's. Don't get old, Ross. Don't get old. I know. We're all yeah. going to. They're all going to die. And for the nineties, I've it's a he's a known name, but the one that's coming out on top of my mind is Peter Beardsley. I don't think the work he did for Newcastle gets appreciated as it should do. My yeah. God, obviously his second spell at the club, not the first one. After he'd been to Liverpool and Man United and other places around the world of football, Vancouver, I think he went to as well. But what he did in those early Premier League seasons, like when Newcastle, for those who aren't aware, got promoted from the Championship the first season the Premier League was a thing. Then after getting promotion, finished third and never gets talked about ever. And Peter yeah. Beardley was up front with Andy Cole for that, just causing havoc. It was amazing to see. I know it's it's one of those things with Beardsley as well. Even when you look at him in his prime, you're just like, oh, he must be about forty-five there. <laughs> um, ooh, underappreciated. There's a star. There's going to be a name come here which is going to make me go ruffle on the floor because Liverpool in the nineties was a weird eclectic mix, wasn't it? We were very weird, and you'd have people like Julian Dix turned up, I think, for like about <laughs> ten minutes, and obviously, uh, I, I remember meeting a little kid once on a train going to Blackpool with my parents in about 1996 and this little kid was about four and was obsessed with Neil Ruddock uh, <laughs> <laughs> one who doesn't seem to really get the love now and this again this is going to sound weird Jamie Redknapp mm. um, again blighted by injuries but he was Liverpool captain he did win some silverware but you think of those the kind of transitional years and you're thinking of McManaman, you're thinking of Fowler, you may even be thinking of, you know, Dominic Matteo and people like that. And Redknapp doesn't really get fondly remembered, I'd say. His punditry career's probably got a massive part to do with that, the bland bitch. Yeah, he's a bit of a boring, <laughs> boring sod, isn't he? Um, 
but yeah uh, if, if you gave me more time to think of it you know get me on the omega threes get me some blueberries and stuff to get the cogs going but just off the top of my head they're, they're the three that jump out of me so let us know in the comments down below who are the underappreciated t- uh, players for your national teams and your club teams as well. Hi, lads. Wasn't sure if you'd been asked about or had mentioned your favourite goals of all time, so I thought I'd ask... Uh, I thought I'd add a little bit of spice and make it a two-pronged question. Firstly, what's your personal favourite goal of all time? I'll go in there straight away. It's Philippe Albert. Or as Martin Tyler said, it's Philippe Albert. Oh! <laughs> Absolutely glorious in the rain as he slides on his back. It's a centre forward from Belgium carrying the ball forward, seeing what many people thought was the greatest goalkeeper in the world at the time off his line, and the centre back chipping him from the edge of the box straight over his head. He didn't even move. That's what Newcastle were in the 90s. <laughs> uh, for me, it's someone who's absolutely dominated this podcast. It's Gerard in the Gerard final. West Ham absolutely smashing it in from about four miles away. As soon as the announcement had been made for the extra time and he just stood up and asked, what? I mean, could there have been a more perfect strike in the more crucial moments in a final? It's it's all the elements you put it at play. Oh, beautiful. The mantle had been taken by Paul Koncheski, but then Gerard ruined it for everybody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Paul Koncheski, one of the most hated players in Liverpool history because his mum complained about how much she hated Scousers while he was part of Roy Hodgson's Liverpool rebuild. Did she really? Bloody hell. Yeah. Um, yeah, because he wasn't. We signed Konchesky, like, oh, he's not, he's not great. And yeah, I think she put on Facebook something like denigrate, like going going in on the Liverpool fans, and uh, his fate was sealed. But yeah, he, he scored a. He didn't mean that goal. I don't think at all. <laughs> Obviously, but let's be. Let's I was, be I was, Joe, I was, I was pulling your piss of there, Jack. <laughs> oh, no, but I'm just. You know, I'm 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 a nice man. I, I try and see the no, I don't try and see the positives. I'm a negative, miserable old game. Um, Gerard final. And the second part of this two-pronged attack question, and spicily, uh, what's a goal you think is underrated slash underappreciated slash not seen enough? Uh, my favourite goal, this is the email I'm talking, my favourite goal is Tim Cahill's weak foot volley against Netherlands in the 2014 World Cup, as you have fond memories as a Aussie going berserk watching it in a pub at 3am with a bunch of randoms. One guy celebrated so wildly, he fist-pumped and spun around at the same time, which resulted in him accidentally uppercutting someone. My underappreciated goal is Fabio Quilagria, I think I've said that right, from a few years back, which was nominated for the Pushkas Award, but I believe was robbed. It's a through-his-legs-back-heel volley, which is absolutely superb. Uh, Superb? Superb. Superb. And I forgot to write down the name of who sent that in, so while you're talking about yours for that category, I'll find his name. Ooh, uh, hmm. Let me think. I'm not too sure. Um, I always liked Van Bronckhorst that... um... Was it Van Bron- Yeah, did Javon Van Bronckhorst at World Cup 2010? Thunder the, bastard from miles out, yeah. With the Javelani, because you, you, you like to see him, don't you? Um, off the... Yeah, I don't know. I don't really know. Because it seems to be goals like that that you don't really think of, if you know what I mean. I'm trying. I'm tripping over my words here. Cause I'll tell, just, you, I'll tell you head, what. In my head, I've got a Rolodex of like goals going, but they're all goals that I love and rewatch <laughs> over and over again. Because I'm just thinking, oh, Roberto Carlos against France is like, no, that's very. Similar. Everyone knows that one, don't <laughs> exactly, they? Exactly, that's what I'm going on about. It's it's one of those. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know if my choice has been hampered by lockdown because it was a lockdown goal. It's that Eric Lamella one at Arsenal. Ruined mm. by lockdown because there's no fans there to enjoy it and also ruined by Martin Tyler's commentary. I think if you put an iconic bit of commentary on top of that Lamella goal, which I think won the Pushcast Award, it was the one way did the Rabona through the defender's leg and it went in the far corner. It was yeah. If you put an iconic bit of commentary and a, and a good crowd on top of that, I think it's one of the greatest goals of all time. Oh, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. So um, that's from Jack in Newcastle, Australia, by the way. So thank you, Jack. And sorry for not uh, writing your name down. <laughs> up, up the silver chair. There up we go. the silver chair, indeed. Uh, up the hold and give. The third email starts. Uh, all right, Mr. Hold and Mr. Give. Again, which one's which? That's up to you. I'll, I'll, I'll hold this week. <laughs> Ding dong. Like Paul Gascoigne. <laughs> If you were listening to last week's podcast, you yeah. know exactly what we're talking about. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on the next season. With City losing Gundogan on a free and potentially losing Bernardo Silva to the Saudi League, and the rumours being that they are going to replace them with more holding players, do you think that they are a shoo-in to win the league again, or whether another team will give them a proper challenge? Thanks for all the fantastic content from Elliot in Cheshire, who is a ugh, he's an avid Liverpool fan. Come on, come on. Disgusting. Uh, um... <laughs> Well, seeing as it seems like City are about to sign Gvardiol, I don't think they. I still think I think they're going to win it again. Unfortunately, yeah. Is it because, as weird as it sounds, that the the first third of last season, I was like, oh, City look a bit rubbish here. This could be anyone's for the taking, and then they Cityed it and steamrolled it again. Well, steamrolling's a bit unfair to Arsenal, but if they get Gvardiol on, and like you're saying, if they go for more holding, kind of more. Stable midfield presence, and then just have that robot Haaland up front scoring ninety goals. Yeah, I think City's again. Unfortunately, they've got to have another iron in the fire in terms of an attacking player, though. Surely, because as we Definitely. say, as we were saying last week, and as the email says, they're replacing the likes of Silver and uh, who else is left? Oh my God, Gundogan with Gundogan. I mean, they were in for Rice, weren't they? But that's not going to happen now. But that's that sort of player who isn't, and obviously uh, Kovacic from Chelsea, not attacking players. You got to think they're going to subsequent those goals being. Like taken away from them with an attacking player. Is the cat yeah. there? Up oh, the yeah, cat. He's, he's just there uh, licking his bum off. Oh. Oh, hey, mate. That YouTube might YouTube might demonetize that to see that. Oh, they, they, they won't see anything, but yeah, it's it's City, isn't it? They could just decide tomorrow who they wanted and they can go in and make a, a big bid for him. Um, I'm trying to think who could move because Chelsea, I think are going to have to shift some more players, aren't they? So even if they just went and got some of Chelsea's lesser players, they just kind of bulk out their squad. I think Real Madrid, if they want to get some more money for an eventual move for Mbappe, they might have to sell some of the big mm. movers as well. Um, so yeah, I'd, like you said, City have, City have still got moves to make in this in this window. Yeah, but I still think they're far and away the, the favourites. And Arsenal's yeah. improvements to their squad so far this summer has been fantastic, Like, but I still yeah. think there's a, a little bit more for them to do and maybe a little drop-off from City as well for them to, to, to get closer than they were that season. Yeah, I mean, obviously the the eternal optimist in me is thinking that this this new look Liverpool might be up in the conversation again. That might be obviously... a bit like City last season, though, looking for the, you know, letting Haaland settle down a bit, because I think that's what the main issue was, wasn't it? Just letting Haaland sort of settle in. I know he was scoring all the goals, but it felt like everyone behind him was a bit like, oh, we're not sure where to go. Then De Bruyne worked out where to put the ball exactly, and they went, yeah. they went, went and won the league, so maybe it could be like that. But anyway, thank you for the questions this week. It's Ross at HoldingGive.com if you want to get involved. We end, as always, with the big question, as Jack is looks like he's about to fall asleep. It's been such a long podcast. Uh, we'll 
asked the question, why has Mason Mount left for Chelsea, uh, left Chelsea for Manchester United? A, a crucial part of his statement, which many people have picked up on, said the following. Uh, I feel you deserve more than just a written statement, as I said. So we'll just read out a written statement and that'll be better. Uh, so I want to tell you directly how grateful I've been for all your support over the last 18 years. And I know that some of you won't be happy with my decision, but it's what is right for me at this moment in my career as we see a cat named what? This is Louie. Oh, hello, Louie. Hello, Louie. Yeah. Hi, Ross. Hello, Louie. Uh, so, yeah, Mason Mount is saying this is the right to, well, the right for him, right thing for him to do at this moment in his career. We're asking the question, why? I'm, I'm asking the question, could it be something to do with the contract negotiations that went on for absolutely ages, but then ultimately went absolutely nowhere, maybe telling Mason Mount that they don't want him as much as someone like Manchester United clearly want him? I think it's probably a bit of that. And like we said, there's, there's a fire sale at Chelsea, aren't they? isn't there? So while I think they would have wanted to keep him, if they're seeing an out there, recoup some money, get rid of some players at the same time, I think it's a, not a blessing in disguise, but for the actual structure of Chelsea, it's a problem that they haven't got anymore. Yeah. I'm not saying he was a problem, but just because of the way the club's been ran since Bowley's come in, they've, they've got to get rid of players. Um, some of the I know some of the Chelsea fans had well the the vocal minority online had um, turned on him last season when things weren't going great, uh, but I don't know it, it it feels like this is a good move for United a good move for Mason Mount whether it's good for Chelsea remains to be seen. Yeah, one thing I found in me a little bit of research for this is apparently towards the end of last year, like the end of the calendar year for 2022, he had a great new contract with Chelsea, but on a lot less than the 200, well, the 200 to 250,000 he's apparently getting at Manchester United now, but Chelsea retracted the deal, which I think yeah. if that happened to me, I know what I'd be thinking. I'd be thinking, well, you don't want me that much, do you? Because see you later. Cause yeah, exactly. On top yeah. of that as well, apparently while Mason Mount was from the day he made his debut for Chelsea he's made the most appearances in that period of time over the last four years wherever it was and scored the most goals yet he remained one of the, the, the lowest earners in the squad so if you yeah. put it on sort of, I know football's not that maybe he needs a better agent I don't know um, it certainly seems that way but then again he's on 200 grand now being Mason Mount so maybe he doesn't need a better agent um, maybe the agent just didn't like Chelsea um, but when you put all that together I think he's done the right thing for him to get away from Chelsea because they just didn't show that they wanted to keep him I was gonna, yeah, because from the outside looking in, Chelsea seems very turbulent. I know Man United's probably not much better with the protracted ongoing potential sale and the glazes and the protests and stuff, but Chelsea seems like it's going to take a while for it to settle down off the field anyway. So perhaps perhaps he was looking at it and thinking, do you know what, it's, it's a good time to go because I don't know if this is going to get easier for him. Yeah. I think it's the way I'm going to put it. And if you're looking at it from a totally football decision, you, you think that where Man United finished last season and where Chelsea finished last season has got to have oh, a yeah. bit of a bearing as well. Chelsea obviously getting a new manager surely can't be any worse and will be closer to the top four, if not in the top four, under Pochettino. But just the way that Ten Hag, it feels like the way Ten Hag works his players might be down to make, like down, soup Mason Mount down to the ground, I should say. Yeah, and at the end of the day, no matter how up and down Man United's fortunes have been on the pitch, they're still Man United, aren't they? So, if, if, if you're any prominent player in Man United are interested, your head's probably going to get turned. Even if you are at Chelsea, it's, you can't underestimate the pull of some of these clubs. Yeah, up the pulls. 
up the polls. Up the polls, indeed. That is it for episode seven of the Holding Give Football podcast. I will now allow Jarkins to go and tend to Louis and all of his needs and desires. Up the Louis. Yeah. Up the Louis. That's a very fluffy cat. He's a he's a he's a pain in the bottom. Where's the other cat? She's probably downstairs, just chilling out because she's not a little diva. Oh, so. that's that's the jealous cat, the other one. Yeah. There we go then. There was always a jealous, wasn't there? <laughs> She's the boss, and he's a he's a little weedy boy who's just pulled a big thread out of my shirt. Oh, um, so thanks, Louis. Cheers, Louis, and thank you for listening <laughs> and or watching. We'll be back next week at the same time. Just chaos, isn't it? It's chaos every time we get on a call. Of course, there is. Yeah. That was a cat meowing. That's a time to go. Goodbye, everybody. Dilly ding, dilly dong. I don't know why I like saying that, but there, there we go. <laughs>